Well, let's do that, shall we? Grab your Bible and uh, let's turn back to the book of Philippians. And uh, let's see if we can get out of verse 1 today. Shall we do that? Um, so, some of you who may not have been in one of my classes before, or some of you may not know my past, uh, my pastor for a couple of years of my life was John MacArthur. And if you know anything about John MacArthur, uh, you know that he will take a verse and he will squeeze every ounce of meaning out of that verse and then once he's gotten all the juice out of that verse, he'll look at the pieces that fell out, and then he'll take you all the way through the Bible telling you about those pieces. And um, I'm not, I don't claim to be like that at all, but I do have some of his influence. So, Anyway, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, let's uh, look back to what we looked at last time. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints... In Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. And we've kind of pulled the car over at that point and just uh, parked and talked about what is an overseer. Uh, we said that overseers, that's one of the three terms that describes the office of the pastor elder in local churches. Uh, they have responsibility for the overall care and oversight and administration of the church. And uh, we've talked about that, and I hope that that's been a, a beneficial uh, discussion. And uh, today we want to talk about the deacons. Uh, so we're going to spend our time talking about the deacons today. Uh, first of all, uh, any questions on elders, over, uh, over, uh, overseers, that's the other word, pastors, any questions that have come up as you guys have thought about that during the week? You okay, okay on where we've been? Okay, well, let's talk about deacons then. Uh, the word translated deacon is diakonos, diakonos. And, and just in, in, in hearing the word, you understand that deacon is not an English word. Deacon is a transliteration. The word of the day class is transliteration. Um, what, what that means is, uh, I don't know when this happened, but way back when, they took a Greek word and they took the Greek letters and turned it into English letters. Okay, so they took a B, made it a B, A, A. Uh, the word baptism is like that. Baptizo is, is the verb for baptize. And uh, you just change the Greek letters into their equivalent English letters, and you invent a new English word. So it's not a real English word. It's what, what's called a transliteration. And that's deacon. De- deacon is essentially a transliteration of diakonos. It's a little bit uh, obviously spelled differently there. But it's usually translated as servant. In fact, if you were to type in diakonos in your blue letter Bible uh, on the internet at home, or maybe some of you have Bible software, or you look up kind of the old school way, you get out your big old Strong's Concordance, and you open up, and you look up the Strong's number for deacon, and you look all over Scripture, you would see it translated in all sorts of different ways. Because the word uh, diakonos does not always mean the office of deacon in the church. It can be translated in a very general sense as just a servant, someone who serves. And... Um, Here's a kind of a definition. One who serves as an agent or an intermediary. And that's uh, right out of the uh, dictionary there. Sometimes the word refers to an assistant or one who gets something done at the request of a superior. Okay, So that kind of gives you the idea. It's a servant. They assist other people. They, they're, they're assigned tasks and they go and do them. Uh, number two, likewise, the word el- like the word elder, diakonos is used in the New Testament both generally and to describe a particular church office. So um, just a, a quick word study 
tip here, okay? If you're studying one word in the Bible, um, and if you were to look it up in the dictionary, like, like most words, you will find several different definitions, several different glosses, if you will, um, of how that word can be used. How do you know which one, uh, which definition fits in you know the verse that you're looking at? How do you know that? The context, sure. Okay, very good. Context is is always the final determiner of meaning. Um, and, and don't do what so many rookie Bible students do. They'll get out their strongest concordance and they'll look up the verse and, and they'll find the most obscure definition, gloss, of the word. And instead of thinking, well, which definition fits best in the context, they'll pick the one that's the most unique, the, the one that has the most, wow, I've never heard that before kind of idea. And then they start a cult. Um, <laughs> that's almost true. Uh, so, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Just remember, context is the final determiner of meaning. I don't want to look up a word, pick the most bizarre, unique, weird thing, and say, well, that's what it means. I want to pick the one that makes the most sense in the context in which I find it. The other thing, uh, uh, maybe a second footnote on that, is don't take all the glosses. When you look up your, in your dictionary, you look up the word, don't take all the glosses and combine them. That's, that's not what you're supposed to do either. They're, they can be used in different ways in different places there. So uh, it can be used generally as a servant, an agent. But then it has one of the glosses, one of the meanings is this, this technical term. Um, and when it's used in its technical sense, as it is in chapter 1, verse 1, in our verse here, it refers to an office. It, it refers to a, a technical role within the church body, within the local church. Okay. Though not called deacons, many commentators believe the first deacons in the church are described in Acts chapter 6. So let's wander over there and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, you've, these may be deacons, they may not be deacons, but they're certainly functioning as deacons. Let's look at what may have prompted the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6. If you turn over there, please. Um, if you read, as you're turning there, let me introduce this to you. As you read the New Testament, you will find that the church has always been faced with problems and challenges. Now you're thinking this is this is like church 1.0. I mean this is this is a brand new church. It's fresh out of the box, and you would think with a, with a brand new uh, product or the brand new uh, 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 church like this that they would enjoy all the benefits of anything else that's new, right? It doesn't break right away. You know, there's a warranty period, things like that. But that is not the case at all with the church. Right out of the gate, we see that, that the church has struggled with challenges and problems from false teachers to sinning Christians to, to new, uh, new situations where uh, biblical principles had not been applied to that, so they had to wrestle through what does the Bible say about that and how do we handle the situation. And in Acts chapter 6, as the church is in its infancy, uh, we see one of those new challenges that hadn't been anticipated before. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, so the church is growing, uh, remember, read when it says disciples there, don't read you know the 12. That's not what it's talking about there. By context, it's just talking about people that are following Christ, so those are increasing. Um, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, 
because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Okay, so so let, let's unpack that a little bit. You've got you've got some uh, some Jews, uh, some people that that are by blood Jewish people, but they've been Hellenized. They've been brought up in the Greek culture, kind of like the Apostle Paul was in, in Tarsus. Okay. And uh, so they, there's Israelites, Jews that have this Greek influence, and then you have some other Hebrews that grew up in Jerusalem, right? They don't have as much of that Greek influence. And so there's sort of this pseudo-cultural people group problem here. We don't know if, 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 that was, uh, uh, if there was anything more to that other than just identifying these are two different sort of types of Jews here. But in any case, one of them noticed that in regard to the other, there were some widows who were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Um, we read in, in books like 1 Timothy that the church's role, when there is no family to assist a widow, the church's role is to support that widow. That, that's one of the privileges of the body of Christ. And uh, you know, Jean McCracken, for example, uh, she's not a widow in the strict sense of the term because she was never married, but we as a church are caring for her in that sort of widow status, because that's what we're called to do. And, and praise God that many of you are involved in that, and that's what we should be doing. Okay, But, but there were some widows in this early church who were being neglected. They, they were not being cared for the way the Bible calls believers to do. So uh, the 12 now, the, the 12 apostles, by context there, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now let's stop right there. What, what does that mean? Okay, there's priorities based upon giftedness. Okay, that's true. Have you guys read this before? You know the story? So jump in here. Tell me what it means. Okay. Okay, right. Are, are the 12 saying here that, that uh, taking care of the widows is not important? No, that's not what they're saying at all. What, what they're saying is God has called, the, in this context, the apostles. Remember I told you last time during the book of Acts, the leadership of the church starts with the apostles and transitions to local bodies of elders in local churches. Okay, That's the transition we see in the book of Acts. So here, in the early part of Acts, we see the apostles are still kind of functioning as the leadership. And they say, you know what? We can't neglect our primary calling to minister the word of God and and to shepherd the flock of God in that way. We can't neglect that duty to handle this other new duty that has just arisen. Okay? So it's not that they're saying it isn't important. They're just saying we can't do everything. Verse 3, so what did they do? So they said, select from among your brethren seven men of good reputation who are full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. Okay, so there you go. Uh, The leadership instructed the congregation with their oversight to pick seven qualified men who would... Um, serve and assist with this problem um, as a normal duty of the church to care for the widows. Uh, and then verse 4, one of the verses that helps uh, elders and pastors to understand their, their duties, uh, but we, meaning the apostles and later the elders, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, 
Every elder, every pastor should have on his business card, my two duties are prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what they are. Um, So verse 5, And this statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, who was a a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Okay, Um, What's the laying of hands thing? That's part of what we now call ordination. Uh, Ordination would be a a formal recognition of a group of uh, men in the church to function for a particular office or duty. And so by, by laying their hands on them and praying for them, in a sense, the apostles are saying, we are commissioning these men to function in this capacity as qualified servant ministers uh, in the church. And their main duty, at this point at least, was to um, care for the widows. Verse 7, And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Okay. Now, you notice in that text, what word is not used in that text? What word is not used? Deacon. Deacon. Okay. So we can't say dogmatically that this is definitely where the deacon started, because obviously that word is not used there. But as we're going to see, the description of who these guys are and what they do sounds very similar to what the Bible later on is going to say is a deacon. Okay. And so we'll talk about that. But that's that perhaps is where the whole concept of deacon started. And you can see, uh, we'll just talk about these men. What did they do? They, they had to be qualified. The congregation had to sort of affirm, yeah, these, these guys are, are, are godly men and um, they're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, and then they are commissioned by the leadership of the church for a particular task to serve in that function. And, and notice that they have a very different job description than the apostles and elders, right? They didn't commission them to preach and teach. They didn't commission them to shepherd the flock of God or, or to, to give oversight in general to the church. They had a particular role in serving, in handling what we might call a, a, a practical need in the church. And again, uh, all of those things, at least in my, in my mind, make it sound like this was... If these weren't deacons, they at least were sort of the, the pre-deacons, if you will, um, because that's exactly what they're functioning as. Like elders, uh, deacons must be qualified for the office. We saw that here in Acts 6. Let's turn back to the, the formal job description back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at the qualifications for deacons. Just out of curiosity, how many of you came from a church background, maybe when you were growing up or whatever, where the deacons were sort of the the leaders who ran the church? Anybody okay like that? Okay. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, church government is very confusing and is almost unique to the particular denomination. In fact, there are whole denominations that have distinguished themselves almost solely on the basis of church government. Uh, Originally, the Presbyterians and the Episcopals were not a whole lot different doctrinally, or at least originally. Um, but the church government, how they view church government, is a little bit different. And um, Baptists have their mode of doing that. Bible churches have their mode of doing that. Um, 
Church of Christ, or I mean, we can go on and on. All, all these denominations have uh, different uh, governments. The, the government that I grew up in um, in college, um, we had pastors, and then we had a governing board. And the governing board was sort of like the elders, but they weren't called elders. Um, so oftentimes in churches, you'll have guys that are sort of functioning as elders, but they're not called elders. Um, so that kind of lends itself to some of the confusion. Look at First Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at the qualifications. We saw the qualifications of elders, overseers last time. Look at verse 8. It says, deacons, as Paul's writing to Timothy here, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, meaning, meaning they're, they're saying one thing one minute, and then they say something different the next minute, or addicted to much wine. They're, they're not drunkards. They have self-control in their life. Or fond of sordid gain. You can imagine if these guys are going to be involved in the practical ministries of the church, serving. You know, they're they're pulling the food and they're going to care for the deacons. A lot of times they're handling finances. It's very important that they're not in this for money, right? So they're not fond of sordid gain. They're not they're not in it for some sort of ill motive. Verse nine, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10, and let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons. Um, the testing there, if you think back to Acts 6 that we just read, the testing was probably when they went to the congregation and they said, who are the guys, who are the guys that, that really stand out, that, that you, you see it already in their life? I mean, ideally, the way the church should identify deacons is they just kind of look around. We, we may go to somebody and say, sir... Um, uh, we'd like you to consider being a deacon. Would you like to get into that process? But that's one way of doing it. But the ideal way of doing it is you just kind of look around the congregation and you see men that are already doing deacon-type stuff. And that's what happened in Acts 6, and that's kind of what Paul is telling Timothy here. They have to be tested. You have to see them in action, so to speak. And when, and when they, they pass the test, when, when they show themselves to be qualified, it says here, verse 10, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now, you'll notice that many of the same character qualifications that applied to elders also apply to deacons, right? You see that there? In fact, look down at verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of one wife, good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And if you parallel the qualifications of deacon and elder in terms of their character, it's very similar. Very, very similar. Not identical, but, but similar. But there's one glaring omission in the deacon list that is in the elder list. What is not in the deacon list that is in the elder list? Teaching. Hmm, okay, why is that? Why is that? Yeah, that, that's not the deacon's primary role. That doesn't mean deacons can't teach. It just means teaching is not a primary duty of deacons. Okay. So they don't have to have a gift of teaching in order to qualify for that role. Yes, sir. The first act of deacons was so that the elders could... Exactly. That's a good point. Right. Right. Very good. Okay. And again, um, you know, we, we, we have now and have had in our past deacons that do teach. But again, that's not their main role. And as Rich pointed out, uh, one of the reasons that we have deacons is so that the elders uh, can sort of be freed up from some of the, the service-type activities so that they can focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word.
Okay? Questions on deacons there? Does that make sense, the qualifications there? All right. As the word deacon implies, deacons in the church are servant ministers who assist the elders in leadership of the church body. That's what they do. They're not, they're not junior elders. Okay? They're not elders in training, necessarily. They are a, a separate office with a totally different role emphasis. But they work with the elders, they work alongside the elders to um, provide leadership in the local church. Okay? Questions on that? All right. Now, <laughs> what about women deacons? Welcome to Sunday school, your place for controversy. Um, so one of you came up to me at last time and asked a very astute question. What went something like this, Keith, there's a verse that just doesn't look like it, land, like it should apply, like it should be where it is in the text. Look at verse 11. Right in the middle of deacon discussion, you know, the deacon discussion starts in verse 8, goes all the way down to verse uh, 13, and then stuck right in the middle of that discussion on deacons, verse 11, says this, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. What do we do with that? They have to support their husband. And that's actually one view. One view is that this is talking about the wife of the deacon. And now follow me here. Since the deacon's role, well, in the one example we saw, they're ministering to the widows, right? Do you think the wife of the deacon may be a part of that ministry? Sure. That would be very logical. So it's possible, as, as John mentioned, that um, what this is describing is the qualification, if you will, of the wife of a deacon. Okay. So, someone else have a thought? What's that? Yes, yes. And our friends that translated the NIV are... are they, they, well, uh, yes and no, in, in order of your questions there. Um, the NIV tries to not leave any ambiguity in the text. Um, if any of you have a New Living Translation, NLT? Okay. TEV, Today's English Version? Good News Bible? Okay. Uh, translations of that philosophy are trying to bring the meaning down to make it very clear so that either people that maybe English isn't their first language or maybe younger readers, people that... that don't have as much education, so that they can understand. And one of the ways they do that is they try to remove any ambiguity, any vagueness in the text. They try to translate it clear. Other versions, like the New American Standard, which I read, translated as women, because that leaves what it means for the reader to figure out. Okay? That's one of the reasons that, that we encourage in our church what's called a formal equivalent translation. It used to be called a literal translation, but literal is kind of misleading. A formal equivalent, an, an English standard version, an ESV, or a New American standard, an NASB, because, because those versions don't tend to over-translate the text to remove any ambiguity from it. It, it. it leaves, you might be frustrated by, tell me what it means, but on the other hand, it leaves responsibility on the reader in order to do that. The word that's actually used um, here is gynos. Um, you know, you hear that in the word gynecology, right? It, it, uh, um, uh, a branch of medicine that is particular for women. 
Um, Gynos is just the normal word for woman. And depending on the context, okay, remember context? We had that discussion already. It can either just mean woman, or if the context makes clear there's a husband in view and there's a marriage in view, it's also the word for wife. Okay? So you say, which one is it? Ah, that's for you to decide. Okay? You have to figure out what fits in the context best. Yes? Does it really? Wow. Okay, well. The, is there a footnote? Most translations, if, if they translate it, as the, as the ESV did, there's probably a footnote, and if you look down, it'll say woman in the margin there. Um, so, yeah, the ESV is a little more inclined than the NASB to do that, but they're generally the same. Um, <clears throat> so, so what is it? Well, let's think of a possibility. It, they could be, could be the wife of the deacon, right? It could be, look, at the, look back at the text. Women must likewise... Well, that makes it sound like, likewise, like in the same way as the deacon, that makes it sound like we might be talking about a whole nother office. We might be talking about a whole nother um, position in the church called a deaconess. And if you go back to, to Grace Community Church in, in, uh, where John MacArthur is the pastor, they have deaconesses in their church. They're, they're women that function in servant roles that are qualified according to this verse. The other option, I didn't want to give all the options to you, but hey, we're talking about it. Um, the other option is, okay, so it could be wife. That's one possibility. Another possibility is it could be a, a deaconess. Okay. The third one, the third one is not to see it as the wife as the deacon or the deaconess, but just to see it as women ministers. Women ministers in, in the in the minister in the in the non technical sense, just a servant. Okay, and it could be that Paul was ambiguous here because he wasn't trying to specify a formal office. He wasn't necessarily talking about the wives of deacons. Why would he, why would he give qualifications for the wife of a deacon but not the wife of an elder when the elder has more responsibility? Um, it could be that it, it's just saying women that serve. In a, in a servant role in the church, not necessarily creating a brand new office of deacon, um, but they need to be women that have some character. And that's why the list is shorter. So, um, the position our church takes is that it probably refers to the wife. Okay. Uh, in fact, I was talking to Terry at lunch, and you know, I always have to talk to Terry before I teach on these things. And, um, well, seriously, I mean, it, it, I've been here for over 10 years, and I don't think we've ever really talked about that. So we were kind of dialoguing about it. But, but you can see, um, and we, we do not have formal deaconesses in our church. We don't. I think we do have a high standard for anybody that serves in our church, and, and we should. Um, but I think we would probably land more that it's, it's talking about the wife uh, of the deacon. Yes, sir? Well, <laughs> I just told you that diakonos, oh, sorry, I'm writing it in Greek, hang on. <laughs> Write it in English just because I love you guys. Diakonos, it's, there you go if you want it in Greek. Um, 
What did I tell you this can mean? It just means generally servant, right? And then it can also mean, you know, deacon in the, in the formal sense, right? Well, the problem is in Romans 16.1, talking about Phoebe, it is diakonos, but it's like, what is it? Is it, is it the formal use or is it just saying she was serving in the church? I don't know. The, the context there is not clear. Um, so it's th- this, you know, using Romans 16, Romans 16 is, is often used by folks that hold that view to describe uh, Phoebe. Um, and I don't want to get real technical on you, but um, do you want to get technical or you just want to move on? You okay? Okay. In Greek, nouns have gender, like Spanish, right? Spanish has nouns have gender. Is that true? A lot of languages, nouns have gender. And the gender doesn't change, okay? Sometimes, <laughs> if you find a rule, there's always something to break it. All Greek nouns have gender, and that gender doesn't change. There are a few words that can be masculine or feminine, okay? And they do change. Guess what diakonos is? It's one of those words. There is no word for deaconess in Greek. But the way diakonos is used in Romans 16.1, it's used as a feminine because it's applying to Phoebe, right? makes sense. So you say, well, what does all that mean? It means it doesn't help us. That's what it means. So you're kind of left going, I don't know. My, my personal, I would, my leaning, my leaning would be more down here. My leaning would be more down here. Even though I think that, you know, anybody who functions as an, an elder or a deacon, formal office in the church, that, that who that person's wife is, is very important. And I know that because it's going to talk about their marriage and their family as qualification. So I don't think we can ignore the wife and the family of the pastor, elder, deacon. Um, I've kind of backed away from deaconess. I, I obviously I served in a church where where that was the case. Um, but th- to me, this one kind of fits the context the best. It just keep it general. Um, you guys can argue with me on that. Can I just say one last thing? Yes, you sure can. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's several others he mentions that are serving him and are serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful uh, you know, testimony yeah. that is. You know, uh, th- there, are, there are some feminist theologians that don't like anything that we've talked about this morning. And one of the things that the feminist theologians don't understand is that Christian doctrine, the way we interpret it, was radical for the culture that Jesus, when Jesus was alive. Um, in fact, as you just said, Rich, Christianity upholds women as honorable, as joint heirs with men, as believers. Uh, when, when Paul says in Galatians that there's neither male nor female in Christ, what he's saying is um, women, which was not true in a lot of cultures back then, you know, were, were that they can have equal status in the body of Christ in terms of as Christians. So. Um, so that that's really true, and even our our church that we're studying here, uh, Philippi. Remember, Paul comes into the town. Who's the only godly people he can find? A bunch of ladies who are hanging out at the river. 
That sounds like a country song, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll move on from there. Okay, so, so somewhere in here, again, practically, I don't know that it, it, ch- it changes a whole lot, but um, you know, our church would sort of hold, it's probably the wife, uh, I'm kind of leaning down here, um, good men hold the deaconess view, so it's somewhere in there. Okay, yes? Mm-hmm. Let a woman learn in quietness and entire submissiveness. Right. Allow no woman to teach or to have authority over the men. She right. Remain in quietness. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if you heard that. She was reading the, the section of 1 Timothy 2 where Paul's saying a woman is not to have a role where she's teaching or exercising authority in some way over a man in the context of the local church. And, and again, that's why we would say, you know, we can be okay here because they're not teaching, right? They're, they're, not, they're not teachers in that way. Um, and even the way you look at Lydia or Phoebe or any of those ladies in the church, they're not whatever role they had, they're not exercising authority over men. They're not teaching men. Uh, and that is consistent throughout the New Testament. Yes, Ruth, and then back to Rich. From just what Sherry read, it would seem to disqualify women from being pastors and elders in the church. Yes. Mm-hmm. But not from uh, serving in a leadership role in the serving area. Right. Which would be like a deacon. And we have yeah. Yeah, that's really true. That's really true. I mean, we have, we have uh, yeah, a number of you function really as servant ministers in the church, uh, whether you're teaching other ladies, whether you're teaching children or functioning in the nursery or women's ministry. Um, and we would see all of those things as, as biblically um, allowable roles for women to have, and we want to support those and encourage those. So, Rich, well, one more thing. Yeah, there, there's there there is some cultural context, um, and yeah, some of those things I've read similar things in commentaries. Um, yeah, I, I think what we see here is Paul saying, whatever your background, whatever the culture is saying, this is the way God wants His church to function. And in many regards, it, it honors women, whereas in other cultures they were not allowed, uh, even as a religious person, the same status as men. Even even to some extent, Judaism. You know, you remember. Even the temple geography, you had the court of the Gentiles, right? And then you had the court of women. And then you had the court where the Jewish men could go, right? So even in Judaism, there was a little bit of a distinction there. And, um, you know, the Bible's clear. I mean, as, as Ruth rightly pointed out, First Timothy 3.1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer. That's significant because it's, it's, it's limiting, in a sense, the pastor-elder role to men. But on the flip side, what we've seen is there are hundreds of ways that women can and should function in a local church, and, and the Bible honors that role 
uh, in a number of ways, both through example and through prescription. So, yes, sir. And all God's men said... I can definitely, I think you agree with that pattern. You see that? Um, so yeah, you know, the Bible obviously doesn't, doesn't speak to a Kiwanis club, but it does speak to the home and the local church as models. And, and I think um, you know, the Bible is not saying that if there is a role that is reserved for a man that a woman can't do it, like, like she doesn't have the ability. Um, and as you rightly pointed out, I think sometimes women are more gifted for certain roles than other men, than men are, but... Um, what we're interested in is saying, what does God say is best, and trying to follow that, and knowing that that His wisdom is is ultimate there. So, but that's a good observation. Yeah, Wes. Is there anything about the language that precludes a widow being a deaconess? Is there anything that about the language that precludes a widow from being a deaconess? If you land here, um, if if this is your view, if this is where you've landed. Um, then no, there's, there's nothing that precludes them. And in fact, people that argue for this view, they will look at a gal like Phoebe. Um, what about Anna? Anna and, yeah, well, and, and, well, and Anna's, Anna's a little bit more challenging because she, you know, the church hadn't been born yet. So you've got a, she's a prophetess under Israel. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit different dispensation there, but, but, you know, roughly we can, you know, you could, you could look at some of the women in the old Testament, how they functioned in some cases in leadership roles. Um, but uh, going back to Wes's question, um, a lot of commentators think that ladies like Phoebe and some of the other ladies that they've identified as potential deaconesses, that they were widows. And that's one of the reasons they did function like that. Um, Paul's going to tell widows, um, in later on in first Timothy, he's gonna say, you know what? You have huge opportunities for ministry, you know. You have you have wonderful opportunities. Use those opportunities, and that's why he says, you know, if if they're out, you know, eating potato chips and watching Oprah, eh, we're not gonna. Okay, that's not what we want. But but if they're serving sacrificially in the body of Christ, Paul, Paul says, sorry, almost kept a straight face the whole time. Um, there's there the reason I, I couldn't hold it in. We. Um, there's a story that happened this week where I use the example of sitting on the couch and eating potato chips with my kids, so it's been on my mind all week. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, where was I? 
Yes, deaconesses. Um, the Paul's going to say in First Timothy six later on. You know, if you have widows that are widows indeed, remember he uses that term, where they love Christ, they're above reproach, they're ministering in the church, they don't have any family to care for them. Paul says, you better believe the church's job is to care for them. Absolutely. Um, so yes, answer your question. Yes, Jack. Just a comment from my side. Of yeah. You know, in, in the developed church here, we see things differently than in the undeveloped or underdeveloped churches. Sure. Mm-hmm. Missionaries run into this all the time. Mm-hmm. Where, especially in the Oriental culture, it's really the churches are started by women and children. Mm-hmm. They function. They function mm-hmm. in caring for the flock. Yeah. Whatever need right. Right. they have to make. Mm-hmm. And the men just don't. First of all, a lot of men, it's very difficult to get grown men to accept the gospel. Hmm. Grown women will, but grown men, because of their the culture over there, mm-hmm. they're adamant about their life, what they've always believed. And they just won't. Right. I appreciate you sharing that because I think we Westerners tend to think that everything is just the way we do it sometimes, and that's a good perspective. And I would just say, um, as long as we're talking about it, even though this is the biblical admonition and, and principles related to church role, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with what you just described because that's exactly what happened in Acts. As the church was growing, like Paul comes into Philippi, any Christian men over there? No. Nope. Any Christian men over there? No. Nope. Oh, we have some ladies down by the river. Okay, great. And that, that was the start of the local church. And I have no doubt that they functioned in probably similar capacities as what you're describing until men could come to know the Lord and be trained and then put into that office. Um, believe it or not, the history of our own church, if you read our constitution, when our church was started, we didn't have any elders. We had deacons. And the deacons, even though they're they're not given biblical commission, they they basically had charge over the church until men could be identified and trained and functioning as deacons. Okay, So th- that's not bad. That's the way a lot of churches start. Um, I think what we want to keep in mind is, we, we you know, as God is gracious to provide, we want to move toward having biblical church government the way that we just read it. Yes, Cheryl. Is it different um, for missionaries because that's That'd be a great question for Jack to answer. What do you think? Or Susie. Or Susie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's a great question that we should not try to answer at 1031. Um, let, let me let me say this uh, just to tease you a little bit, and maybe we'll talk about this next time. Um, I think in general that Christians are too cavalier when it comes to what the Bible says should qualify people for ministry, for the biblical roles both in the church and in the home, and how those relate to other areas of life. Uh, and I know Jack will back me on this one, but one, one, of the, one of the problems with the church today 
is you have too many missionaries and mission agencies that are functioning independent of local churches. You back me on that one? Okay. And when that happens, um, you create an environment where people say, well, we're not the church, so these things don't apply. And even though that statement is true, I think creating a culture like that where you have people ministering the gospel as missionaries and they're disconnected from local churches, I think that's the main problem. And once you, once you work to bring that back to the connectedness that God designed for that to have, then you can start asking questions like what you're saying. Okay. So that, 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 is that enough of a teaser? Okay. All right. Well, hang on, hang on. No, I promised. Go back to Philippians 1. Philippians 1. Okay. Philippians 1. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There, we got out of chapter, chapter, uh, verse 1. And, um, we'll talk about, uh, verses 3 and following. And maybe, Qualifications for missionaries next time. Was there a hand back there?